Welcome to the P3 Podcast. The Pronoctis Performance Podcast is the place to be if you're interested in topics such as mindset, coaching, personal development, elite performance, and leadership development. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the P3 Podcast. This week, we've got a fantastic guest, Martin O'Fire, MBE. If you've not seen it, get on YouTube. Just type in <laughs> Martin O'Fire and see some of his highlights reel from his rugby league career. If not even that, these days, get on Instagram and Facebook because the videos over the last week alone will show you what this guy was all about on the rugby pitch. And the one I saw yesterday, Martin, welcome, by the way, 10 yeah. tries in one match. I know. If I didn't actually do it, I probably wouldn't have believed it could happen. I always think to myself, when you people do great things, you know, if you take the likes of, you know, Michael Jordan out of this world and then you take all of his accomplishments out, we are a poorer place for it. And then people won't believe that certain things can actually be done because until things are actually done, you sometimes don't believe they can actually be done, you know, and it's crazy. It's easy to astound other people, but the hardest thing is to actually astound yourself. And even when I see you know, clips like that again, I sometimes think to myself, is that really me to actually do those things? And yeah. The obvious question to ask, I think if it was 20 years ago, was has anybody done it since? Uh, Sean Edwards is the only person in the modern era who's actually scored 10 tries in a game. And he did that against Swinton. But to do it in a competitive match, you know, it was a semi-final of a premiership in front of a packed crowd at Central Park. I think the commentator at the end of the clip, he says, you know, like come decades to come, you know, people probably still be saying that I was there that day. Because when you experience something like that, those are things that you'll never forget. And if you can create something which lasts the test of time, I always feel that you can forget careers, but you can't forget moments. And if you can create a moment that stands the test of time, then you're doing pretty well. Obviously, I've had a few moments, you know, the one that probably people think stands out is obviously me scoring that try at Wembley in 94 where you know Alan Tate was my support cast if I didn't run around him then um, I wouldn't probably have a statue at Wembley I've been retired now longer than I played you know I've been retired for 18 years I think my career was only 15 years long you're only at the pinnacle of that career for a specific time and you know if you can create some great things in that time then, as I say, you know, long after you're gone, you know, the statues, you know, the memories that you've created get handed down from generation to generation and can become iconic. As you were chatting there, I was thinking of, I don't know, somebody in Leeds or Wigan, you know, a parent or grandparent seeing that pop up during the difficult times of 2020 and calling the kids and grandkids over and go, hey, watch this. I was there. Going back into your mindset when you were playing rugby, was everything just sort of automatic or were you sort of really conscious of having the right sort of physical and mental approach to the way you played? It might have seemed automatic, like most things, you know, like when you get into the zone, but you're always pushing. That's the thing about mindset. It's a constantly evolving thing and it can be a blessing as well as a curse, as many sportsmen have found, if you don't find the right path for it. I don't know where it came from, but it was within me as a child. You know, maybe it was just the components that made up the environment that I was in, everything clicked, you know, from the fact that maybe I came from humble beginnings, you know, that I was the youngest of three. I was always trying to be as good as my elder siblings who were far more intelligent than me. My parents were cerebral. I was the chronically challenged, you know, <laughs> I didn't have the greatest brain in this world, but I was always striving to get better and to be better. And so whatever environment I was in, I wanted to be the best that I could be just to be noticed. If people say I was a rubbish rugby player, if I did something that no one else has ever done, then I could not be denied. When I went from rugby union to rugby league, I was described as a uncoordinated clown. You know what I mean? And those things, you know, that pinched you a little bit, but, you know, they inspired you when people said things like that. 
So I think there's lots of things that I think fueled it. And I think they made me the person who I am and who I was. And I think that's what made me successful. I just think I was always felt like I was battling. Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed scoring tries and there's lots of different things that go into the mix and I probably have to be dissected by a shrink to get to the core. I was going into clubs with a physical talent, which I felt was as superior as anybody else, with mindset, which I thought was far superior because the people I was competing against, I didn't feel I had my desire and background because they didn't experience all the things that I experienced, taking all the negatives and turning them into positives, you know, Going to grounds, knowing I was going to get racially abused and people were going to look at me differently. And I saw it as a positive, like I was going to stand out. I didn't have to stand out. I stood out. It was easy. And all I had to do was do that and puff my chest out and be proud and walk with a certain swagger. I knew that was going to piss people off, you know, but I embraced that because I knew then I had to perform because it was a gladiatorial environment in 1994 going into the challenge cup final then after having such a great start to my wigan experience in 92 when i was bought for half a million pounds scored 10 tries in the game went to australia was the man of a match in the sydney sevens for wigan when we won that we were the best in the world to the lows in 93 you know people don't realize on the eve of that final when i scored that try there was a full size story in the daily mirror and i kept it to this day and it's on my instagram page you can see it and it's a big poster of me which finished on the top of it. And I went into that 994 final with that. That's what I was going into. I thought I've got an opportunity in front of 80,000 people to create something because it was more to me than winning. People can't understand how I said to them how depressed I was on the coach on the way back from the 1992 final. And people will say to me, Martin, you've just been signed for half a million. You've scored 35 tries in half a season. You nearly became the top try scorer in the competition. You've won the man the match. You've done this. Proved all the doubt was wrong. I said, no, I'm not happy because I didn't do what I wanted to do. I was all about legacy. I was on a different plane. I was not one of those sportsmen who you classically hear after games. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm happy. I uh, didn't score, but, you know, the team won. Because I was not of that opinion. I thought, if the team won and I didn't do what I was meant to do, surely what am I doing there? How do I justify being there? Surely next week they're going to get somebody else to do my position because if the team can still win and I don't do what I'm going to do, if he gets someone in to do what I can do and actually does it, then the team's going to be better because that's the mindset that I was at. I just wanted to go out and win. So I was not happy. I was literally sulking on the bus and people could not understand it. And that's why in 94, when I went to my knees, I put my head in my hands because I'd actually thought, you know, I've done it. It felt like I'd done what I set out to achieve. I'd set out to do something that would stand the test of time. You know, I wanted to actually score a hat-trick <laughs> in that game. And Robbie Paul went on to do that, I think, two years later in 1996. But I just thought to myself, I've done something. I've actually said to myself, I could not believe I've done it. And that's another thing. To achieve that thing on that given day it is more than you. And I think that's why sportsmen do that, because they know that you can do everything you want to do. You can have a whole career of doing the right thing, going to bed early, eating the right foods, training hard, but still you have to have that certain thing. That's why they call it greatness. It's tangible. That's why they say you are blessed, you are all these things, because still you worship because it is more than you, because there are many great people who have got great talent who have worked hard, but they still don't get that moment. Even Joe Lomu never won a World Cup arguably the most transcendent sportsman from the rugby field. And he's never won a World Cup. You took his name out of my mouth then. There are some people who we won't remember their names. That is why you give thanks. Because you were healthy that day. You didn't have a cold. 
your opponent was two steps to the left instead of two steps to the right. Those minuscule things that help you create that thing of beauty. And when you've done it, and I think to myself, man, I'm blessed to have that moment. If you say to people, Martin of Fire, have you heard of him? And people go, yeah. What's the first thought that's going to come into your mind? Everyone's going to say that try at Wembley. There's a statue after it. And there's bars named after it at Wembley. But I've done greater things. What's really standing out from you, Martin, is there's a word coming out. It keeps replaying in my mind. It is your hunger for success. And success could be playing at the highest level I possibly can or proving myself or proving my parents wrong or I want to go and play at the highest possible standard, the Hong Kong Sevens, for example. The stars are always aligning, but you have to put yourself in alignment with them. You have to do something. You have to be proactive. If you're waiting for them to come to you, somebody will get there first. Is that something that sort of rings true with you? Absolutely, because you don't know when it's going to happen. That's what I'm saying. That's why you have to have faith, because it could be today or it could be tomorrow. I'm a firm believer that it can't be absolutely destiny for everyone, because life does not work like that. We can't all be millionaires. We can't all be the world's greatest basketball player. And we don't know what's in the future. That's why yeah. it is faith, because it's going to happen. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And some people give up. That's why when you see all these old wives tales or whatever that you had, they are so true. Yeah. You know, it is darkest before the dawn. You know what I mean? You do have to have faith. And that's why once you've reached that promised land, everything becomes crystal clear and life just seems to make sense. I think one of the biggest things there is being consistent and being grounded. So being consistent with your performance, being consistent with your drive to improve, but also being grounded along the way. And opportunities will come, again, if you keep the faith. I want to drill a little bit further down into your mindset when playing. If we ask somebody, you know, how would you describe Martin O'Fire, the rugby league player? They'd probably say rapid, ridiculously quick. But that's not enough from my experience in sport. So I'm thinking of timing of the run, execution of the run, timing of the catching, the angle of the run, the step, when you choose to put the hammer down, slowing down to speed up, reading the opposition, knowing where your support players are. And a lot of this can't be a conscious decision in the moment because you haven't got time. It's all your experience, all your training, everything coming to fruition, that alignment you were talking about in the moment. How aware in the match were you, but also in preparation? That's a great question. You just summed up my whole rugby career and it's everything, isn't it? Everything in your life always builds up to that moment. You've heard it many times, you know, like before an Olympic final, when you have that moment and you think about when you were a kid and how you started off, it's all a learning process to that one moment. And it's just everything layer on layer on layer and then everything slows down. You've got to realise that on a rugby pitch, there are only so many things that can happen. When you think about it, you can go there, that can happen, that can happen. And I was very a visual person and I used to see things and I used to tell myself, I know what's going to happen now. He's going to go there. That's going to happen there. I just need to get there. And that's why I used to say, I think I've got the cheat code. I've worked it out at Wembley. I'm just, I can remember it as if it was yesterday, knowing that Alan Tate is somebody that I played against, knowing Alan Tate's attributes, you know, knowing that he used to always dare anyone to take him on the outside because he knew that he had the beating of most people because if he showed him the outside and they tried to take it, then he would mow them down. Yeah. I'm faster than Alan Tate. So basically, I had a race with Alan Tate, but I said go. If you read my book, 50 of the Best, I talk about 50 of the greatest tries, not all my own tries, but the tries that I'd watched and what I'd learned from them, watching people like Ellery Hanley, who was not as fast as me, but could still score tries from a great length. And what I learned from him, how I knew that when you were a sprinter, you don't sprint for the line, you let the line come to you, knowing that when you're sprinting and somebody's behind you, if you run as fast as that person, you get to line. When you're in front of somebody, you don't have to run faster than They have to run faster than you to catch you. Just learning simple things like that, which people may or may not know. There's so much knowledge and brains that you go into just doing something like that, you know. 
I could talk to you for 10 hours and I still wouldn't get everything that I had to use into that tribe. And there's certain things that you organically think in the moment as well. You know, greatness is easy to copy. You just have to spend time at it. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You know, all these things, all these little sayings, you just take them and you put them together and you add it to what you've got. I asked the question about how conscious were you in the moment? And the answer is very conscious. You know, if you're making that split second decision in the moment, clear as day, to the point where 20 odd years later, you can remember making that decision. That is being very conscious in the moment. And I think sometimes our brain can play tricks on us. So sometimes we overthink things. So we end up doing nothing. Yeah. And other times we don't think about it at all and we let our automatic response kick in, which is great as an instinct, but it doesn't always serve us right. Yeah. If it's not serving us, we've got to think about it consciously to take the learnings from it. I think that's a great little segue into the next topic I want to talk about. So there's undoubtedly the fact that you've had a hugely successful career across both codes of rugby. But this success, sometimes it comes at a cost. Has there been a cost to you? Oh, without a doubt. I played so much rugby in my early career and I wanted to be successful. I wanted to earn money. I wanted to do all the things that I wanted to do. That became a cost physically, mentally and physically in terms of my body. I don't think I had even an off-season off. From the year I left school in 85 till 1995 was my first holiday. So that's a lot of life I was missing out on. It is a trade-off. People say it now, don't you? You know, you have to make sacrifices. But how much sacrifice do you want to make? And that's why in 1995, I think that's when I thought to myself, it doesn't matter how many more Challenge Cups I win. It doesn't matter how many tries I score. You know, I want to live. I want to go on holiday. I want to create some other memories. I want to have children. I want to go out and do things that a lot of other boys were doing at 19. You know, I'm glad that I did that because I think to do that, I created something, you know, and I think life is for living, but there's a long time to do the more negative things, whether that's drinking, whether that's, you know, partying, doing the things that a lot of sports where I don't want to, you know, go down. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not really keep, keep up over another podcast. <laughs> podcast. But, you know, I think it took someone who I knew who passed away at the beginning of their journey, which made me think up and think, you know, there is more to life than being successful and being the greatest in the world. So what? You're the greatest in the world. So what? You've got statues. If you just spent your whole life doing that, and then you didn't actually go and have fun with your mates in Vegas. Create those kind of memories. Living life to the fullest is part of life as well. Just as much as being successful or earning money or doing whatever, it's making the most of what you have in your life. And that's something that I didn't learn early on in my career. Maybe I learned at the right time. It's something I do now is trying to get that sustainability in life. It's very hard. When you reach that mountaintop, unless you go back down and try and either climb a higher one or climb it again, climb it faster, or do something else, then you allow negative things to happen in your life. You know what I mean? If you stand still, bad things can happen. Negative thoughts come in. You go down a bad path. And that's why as a sportsman, once you retire, doesn't matter how great I am, right? Doesn't matter how many statues I've got. Doesn't matter how many awards I've got. Doesn't matter how many knighthoods you've got. You know, once your career's over, it's over. You have to look for something new and you can't live the rest of your life with someone saying how great you were. You know what I mean? It doesn't pay the bills eventually, either, does it? It gets to a point where people won't pay for it. It's not, I, I realise that in life, it's not about achieving things it's about trying to achieve things because that's the most enjoyable journey when I see my kids now and they always say they're going to be better than you you know one's good at rugby one's good at football I always just say to them you know this is the best part of your life being on that journey once that journey's over that's when it's over it might be at 16 when they kick you out of the academy and you have to go look for a job it might be at 22 when you didn't give it your all you got one professional contract and you got kicked out then or maybe at 28 when you've had three professional contracts, but you've got an injury and then it's all over to you then. It might be at 35 
when you've had a full career and then you're playing for a, a lower club because, you know, the big club you're playing got rid of you and you're thinking about the next stage of your life. But all you do is you get onto another journey and you carry on again. And that is the beauty of life. You can always do something else, you know, or set new goals and do anything. Keep always moving forward because that's how you have true happiness. When you're going on a journey, it doesn't matter whether you're just going from Manchester to Singapore or London to Warsaw. If you're in a traffic jam on that journey, that's going to be the most frustrating part of your journey. You're actually going nowhere. But even if the journey's longer, but you're sailing along, you're listening to some tunes, you're with your mates, you're having a great time. You don't care if the journey takes twice as long, three times as long, because you're having a great time on that journey. There's nothing worse, isn't it, than staying in the same place too long. Brilliant, man. Some wise, wise words there. Before we come on to what you're up to now and what the future holds for you, I want to play something back to you a little bit where you talked about that at a cost you sort of committed so much to your career that maybe you sacrificed a lot. Some of the athletes and high performers we coach, especially the Olympic athletes, they literally live like monks nine months before an Olympics, maybe 12 months before Olympics. And I'm talking, don't go and see the family at Christmas because they can't risk having a cold or flu. They're in a controlled environment. They train four, six, eight hours a day. And then the rest of the day, you know, they got their feet up on the walls, venting their legs and flushing them out. I think whilst in the moment, that's normal. And arguably, knowing what it takes for the guys to get to where they need to be, it's normal. I think that level of commitment sets athletes up for a great foundation later on in their next career where you're talking about find the next thing you're working towards. Because if someone said to you, Martin, can you come and do a 14-hour day? You'd be like, yeah, fine, no worries. Because what am I doing? Am I either talking to somebody, I'm writing an email, or I'm doing this? It's not as difficult as what I did in the past, physically and mentally stretching myself for a prolonged period of time. Is that a fair one to say? I would say yes and no. Don't get me wrong. I have only been in what could be considered a work environment for two years. I'm only doing three days a week. and I still find it tough because it's something totally different to what I'm used to. You know, even now I've got a mat over there. I've got my dumbbells to the left of me here. You might have to see I've even got a heart rate monitor <laughs> now. And this is me in an office environment, but I've tried to make my environment work because I was putting on weight. I couldn't be in this office environment. But, you know I mean, I know that as long as I'm watching my diet, I'm burning at least 500 calories a day. Got my little circuit. There's lots of things I'm doing. I have to adapt. Still, I'm using the same mindset that I'm using now because people say, you've got a desk job. I'm thinking it's all about heart rate. It's all about heart rate. Burning calories is all about heart rate. If I can get my heart rate up to a certain level, even when I'm sitting down, I can burn calories. I get up there, yeah. do a little circuit, send an email, boom, I sit back down. I can only do that now because I'm working at home. Probably couldn't do that in the office environment. But I can still burn 700 calories in a day. I have my shakes. I have my diet. I watch my diet, watch what I eat. So I'm in an environment which works for me, an environment where I can be successful. And that's all comes from passion and desire. I didn't know about any of this stuff. I just know what winning looks like. You just have to set goals and know what winning looks like. And that's the mentality I think sportsmen yeah. take. Don't get me wrong, going into the office, going in on that tube, it killed me, man. Even though I was doing it for three days a week, I was thinking rugby gave me a good career. I've got properties. I've got investments. I had enough money from my career to live for the rest of my life. But now I've got family. I've got kids who are in um, public schools, private schools. <laughs> I've got a wife. I want to live for a long time. I want to help other people in my family. I want to do the things that maybe people who are maybe monetarily more successful than me want to do. I want to help other people. I don't want my financial situation to stop me from helping other people. So it makes you think other ways and do other things. And I always think that if I just know what success looks like, and success for me is being in a successful company who are worth a lot of money, who are doing good things, 
we're putting infrastructure in the ground. So with passion and desire, will and commitment, that will get me a long way. The other stuff you can <laughs> learn by being around people yeah. who know more than me, by yeah. reading stuff, by learning, you know what I mean? And that's how you get by. So being a sportsman, it does give you that mindset of success. Don't let the fact that you don't know what you're doing hold you back. Never let that hold no. you back. Have passion. Have passion and faith. If you have passion and faith, that will get you a long way, you know? A long way to where, I don't know, but it will get you a long way, trust me. And that's yeah. what you have to have. You have to have passion and you have to have desire. Those two things are more important than knowing what you're doing. And that might sound stupid, but that's one thing I've learned. As I say to my kids, you know what I mean? They've got so much, but if one doesn't have one thing the other's got, I have to remind them of all the things that the other's got. Yeah, yeah. It's that huge perspective again, though, isn't it? That sometimes when we're engrossed in our own mind and our own thoughts, yeah. we've got to take that step back and take a perspective and remember what we do have and the opportunities that are yeah. there. And that's what the thing of being the sportsman is you learn. If you score 20 goals one year, you want to score 20 goals the next year. Think yeah. of every great sportsman. It's about longevity. It's about sustainability. It's about being able to do great things for the longest period. Because there's lots of people who have done one great thing, won one world championship. Who are the ones we remember? The ones who have won many gold medals, aren't it? Because that is the hardest thing in life to get that sustainability. And that's one reason I got into sustainability. So I thought, well, that's what we want to do with the planet. But it's very hard to do because you have to be, I'm trying to think of the right expression without being rude. <laughs> but you've just got to be all in to do it. Sometimes you can't have your foot on the accelerator and just pump it. You've got to be pedal to the metal, haven't you? To guarantee success, that's what you have to be. Because if you just pump it a little bit and then you don't succeed, you'd be thinking, well, did I do the most I could do? You have to risk dying. That's why when sportsmen are on the pitch, you know, chances are you probably won't die. But you have to be prepared to die on that day. The people who are successful are the ones who put everything on the line, aren't they? In business, it's the ones who put their house, their mortgage, their everything. They put it all on the line. When you're a sportsman, you don't care whether you're going to blow a hamstring. You don't care whether you're going to blow a peck. You're risking your body, your life. When you go out there, you know what I mean? We used to have this saying when we're going to test matches, hit the beach. Like in Normandy, when they were hitting the beach, you know, you knew your life was on the line. And that is the mentality that you have to have when you go into everything. When you become a professional sportsman, yes, there's that drop off at the end of the cliff. You know, one day I was a professional sportsman. The next day I was out of the club. I'm on my own. All I've got is the money I've earned, the jerseys I've got, the medals I've got, and that's it. There's no club. Now they help you out a little bit more. And there's charities like Rugby League Cares who help you out. But in my day, it was literally like, one day I'm employed. I get injured playing for Wasps against Sale. Scored two tries that day. I think I cracked my back muscle. So I'm in hospital the next couple of days. I don't think I've even got a medical policy anymore got no contract i'm rehabbing myself i'm playing playstation wondering what i'm going to do with the rest of my life that's it no more wages coming in you're on your own go yeah so i start thinking about new things what i want to do i want to have fun with the rest of my life i want to do something i'm passionate about this i've got into acting i've forgotten the number of reality tv shows thankfully got a break on strictly come dancing no more recently than hunted splash weakest link come die with me total wipeout just umpteen shows you know what i mean getting into investments and uh, property and doing sustainability, creating myself just with the same mindset of passion and desire, being brave and having a will and trying this. And don't get me wrong, it's not all been success. No, I've lost far more money than I would like to even admit that I've lost in investments. But you can't let that make you gun shy. You've still got to go on to the next one and, and keep mm -hmm. doing things and learning from that while also having a great life and enjoying yourself. Let's not forget that that's what you have to do. You have to enjoy yourself. The two things I can have for life and success is having passion, but just be 
close to people who are doing good things that you want to do. Ingratiate yourself with them, you know, get close to them, speak to them. Because that's all part of it as well, which people don't realise. You know, if I'm in a room with a lot of intelligent businessmen, something's going to rub off if I just spend time with them. Just little things can change your life. Just change your life a little bit. And I find all those things, you know, just being around you has opened up my mindset and my world to so many things. All those little things added together is going to make you happier, more successful, regardless of whatever you know. And that's just being around great people. Because it's kind of funny, I'm learning now about all the things that I did that I didn't know that I was doing when I was successful. Because yeah. I always think that in life, right, before anyone wrote the manual, people still wash clothes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Before anyone wrote the manual of anything, people still did it. So I was doing things before they wrote the manuals. And that's what the meaning where I think people say he was ahead of his time. It's like he was doing things and he had a mindset that people around him at that time didn't have. That's what they mean when he was ahead of time. He's actually doing things that everyone around him who are doing the same job weren't doing. So now yeah. I'm in an office environment. I wasn't used to being in that environment, but I was trying to say, okay, well, I'll try and make that environment work for me. So now I'm upbeat. You can see I'm passionate, I'm bubbly, I'm talking, because my heart rate is, if I check it on my phone. <laughs> I, think, I think you've burned 500 calories on this podcast. <laughs> yes, he's off. Better buy Seth Cole. Just little things like that, because all those little things add up to a big thing. 100%. Don't get me wrong, it is more than that. And I do have a background in it. And I do, you know, obviously people will say the things they do. And obviously the people are going to say lots of negative things. I get that. They try and qualify things, you know, like saying, oh, Martin was only good at rugby because he was fast. That's just other people trying to justify why they're not successful. Or, or Martin, it's because they don't know. That's all they see from their blinking view. They just yeah. see you faster than everybody else. I might be getting a bit too deep now. Please stop me if I am, because I do believe back in the beginning of time, in many hundreds and hundreds of years ago, there was a major lie told and I think that's why I've got this whole obviously Black Lives Matter thing at the moment and I do believe there was a lie told about black people many 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 years ago and that lie was told to justify slavery and that is that black people are inferior and so when black people advance and they have their successes then people you have to tell another lie to justify the original lie that instead of just like letting things go and being honest and say we're all individuals in this world some are good some are bad and we're all people and that's it people say He's only good at rugby because he's fast. It's like they have to justify my success by saying it's only because of that. Yeah, they discount it rather than saying he does this on top of that. Yeah, instead of just saying he's great, they'll just say, oh, he only scored 500 tries because he's fast. We're all a product of that. It's not our fault. It's just because of the world that we came from. We didn't create this world. This world was created for us. All we can do is do the things that we can do and leave it in a better place. And I feel by doing the things that I've done and having the success I have, that's why I love someone like Nelson Mandela and he's one of the great people, Martin Luther King, who have done so much for this world because they endured so much negativity and still yeah. gave positivity to the world. And I'm not putting myself on their level. I'm just saying that we're all individuals and every human does that in their own way, you know what I mean? Whether you're Nelson Mandela or whether you're working in the local fishmongers and you had abuse when you were working there and then you went on to do great things, you bought that fishmongers or whatever it was and you went on to employ the son of the person who abused you. Whatever your story is, that's what it is. And I think that's what truly life is about, it's about making this world a better place. And I think that's the journey that I'm on. And I get people send me messages on Twitter and say, literally apologise for abusing me back in the 80s because it was a different world we were living on. But I believe that it made me more successful because it was a negative world. It was almost like I was meant for that world to bring positivity as negativity or it was just the world that I was in. 
And as they say, it's not what happens to you, it's how you react to the things that happen to you. So maybe I was just adapting to the environment that I was in. If you hadn't responded the way you did in terms of showing them with your performance, yeah. you wouldn't be here 20 years later getting messages apologising. If you let it get to you and didn't perform, then you wouldn't be doing what you're doing now. I remember just one throwaway experience. I think I was playing for Witness against Warrington and I was walking out to the game and I was actually playing as a team with another black player on the other side, Des Drummond. And I just remember walking out and then one uh, Warrington fan just came and just held the biggest scob in my face. And I just thought, wow, I'm not having that. So I just thought the way I'm going to show them is by going out and I think I scored five tries on that day, did so well. I just thought to myself, I took it in pride. I could have done what Eric Cantona did, you know? And I think mm. to myself, imagine that if a lot of black players did what Eric Cantona did and just lashed out and in the face of negativity, showed more negativity, that would make the world more negative. And there would be more negativity in the world because two wrongs don't make a right. I just thought, that's the way I'm going to fight back. That's what I'm going to do because I thought it's going to be for the betterment of me. You know what I mean? So in that moment, then, Mark, let's have a look at that. I think you've got two options, well, three probably. Yeah. You've got freeze, fight or flight, haven't you? So Cantona's gone and had a fight because yeah. he's lost it. Let's be honest, that wouldn't have been the first time that happened to him. That's happened because there's loads of mitigating. You yeah. either freeze and not perform or you stand yeah. up to it. So can you describe to us what it was physically like for you at that time? So obviously that horrendous things happened. Do you stand up bigger than yourself? Go, right, I'll show you. It fueled me because I challenged myself. You know, a bit later on in life, I suffered from a bit of anxiety. I certainly didn't like public speaking, but I think it was something that I learned on the course when I was with you. Whether it's that anxiety, it's the same emotion that you're feeling. It's just how your body responds to the same stimulus. Yeah. And because of, you know, the tricks you play with your mind, you manifest it as a positive or a negative. Two people are stimulated the same way, but you get a different reaction from them. One, it's a negative, as you say, they go into the shell, but for some reason that just spurred me on. So the more negativity they throwed me at, the bigger I was. They didn't realize they were fueling me. I became larger than life. I did feel like sometimes I've been transported. So when I was in big games, it was like, this is big game time. I just loved that competition. You know, it was, you were either red or you're blue and it was tribal and it was like fights. It was just very primitive and, I walked out there and the crowd, oh man, I'm thinking about it now. And I'm thinking that if you can get into that situation, when you take that away from somebody, that's why you have the drop off. It's addictive though, isn't it? That level of adrenaline is yeah. addictive. Nothing is going to come close to that. And you have to accept that. But things that we do now, I, I DJ and I for I, I do things, you know, and, and I talk to people. And even now, this is the closest I'm going to get. You know, I watch my old clips because they put me into that mindset. And I love it when people still buzz off those clips. They stand the test of time. I can put a clip on YouTube that is 30 years old, okay? And somebody who's never seen it can still say it and go, wow, and message me. You find a way to keep going on. I think as well, I was watching your Insta or your Facebook videos of when you're recording your boys either playing football or rugby and you're commentating or a goal goes in, that's you buzzing as well. <laughs> Me buzzing as well, you know what I mean? It's on their little journeys because I know I'll buzz off as much seeing them play in a kid's game as one day if I ever got to see them play in any big game, you know what I mean? Because you've got to enjoy that journey and every moment is truly special. And maybe when I was as young, I didn't realize that. And maybe it took me going into becoming a professional sportsman to realize that when I scored a try at school, that was just as special and to cherish every moment. You learn that as you get older. I used to have this bad habit from boarding school, which was eating at night. And uh, I remember after my first child was born, my missus would say, why are you getting up in the middle of the night, scoffing biscuits and stuff like that? It was a terrible habit. And then I just thought to myself, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. Why am I doing that? You know, something's become a habit and you've got all these things and sometimes it takes somebody else to look at you. Someone gives you feedback try and take it in the manner that it's been given to you. And that's a tough skill to take to learn as well. It is for sure. Yeah, for sure. If I can take feedback 
and somebody else can't take the feedback. You're in a better position. So I don't get angry because I'm more open. I can take quality feedback. I can process it, see actually if it is going to make me better. And if I think, yeah, you know what? You are actually right. (laughs) You know, Rihanna used to do this thing. If you go and watch, I think it's the 1987 Challenge Cup final and he scores a try by running across the pitch. He's literally running at a diagonal. If he'd have run straight, he would have got tackled. I don't know where he learned that from because I've not spoken to Ellery Hanley about it. When I watched that, I learned that if you run across in a diagonal, it's harder for someone to catch you because then they have to change their direction. They miss a step and just little things like that. And I'm just thinking, are people who are just your everyday sportsmen, are they thinking on that level? Are you at that kind of level? And sometimes, you know, I was at that level, but I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what I was mm. doing. I couldn't write it in a book. I think it's just organically within all of us as human beings. And that's why some people wrongly think they are special, but they're not. We're all special. That's another lie, okay? We talked about lies. We're all black, white, Hispanic. We're all special, but we just have to find it. It's kind of weird when I'm saying it, but everyone knows it. We're all special, but just only when you find it, you think it's just you when you're on that. It's an easy trap to fall into. I actually thought it, every human being has it but not everyone taps into it. No, and I think a big one word that come out there is the opportunity and being willing and brave enough to have a go where that opportunity arises. And I think also maybe some of the ones that maybe missed an opportunity or didn't take that opportunity, you kick yourselves for it, but don't let it hold you back because yeah. get your head facing forward and another one will come along. But I'm conscious, mate, we could talk for hours about I, I the you. mindset. No, I know we've done it before and we'll do it again, no doubt. Yes. But, but what I'd like to really plug into, pun intended, was your venture now, what you're up to for the last couple of years around this EV. And tell us a little about it from a, a layman's term. So what is it? What it's all about? Because I think it really nicely knits together your passion for sustainability. Yes, as I say, it was just a chance meeting. So also, I always think that certain things are meant to happen. You know, you're meant to meet the right people. You're meant to be in certain places at the right time. And sometimes it used to freak me out a bit. It would get beyond me. And I know you can open up your mind sometimes. And sometimes open up your mind is a scary thing. You want to control it and be in control of it. And that's what we do. And sometimes you have to be brave and just give yourself to it. EB was just meant to happen for me. You know, somebody, Andy Gomesall, another rugby player, gave me a lift in an EV in 2016. So when you say EV, electronic vehicle, right? Yeah, electric vehicle. Uh, yeah, yeah. Electric vehicle. I was at the Cheltenham Gold Cup. I thought, oh, but what is this thing? He said, oh, it was an I3. So I thought, God, I started to do a bit of investigating into it. And I, so I got my wife one in 2017. And then I had a Range Rover. And I thought to myself, you know, God, I pay £100 in polluting diesel to drive this Range Rover. Whereas you've got this clean technology and it costs £2.50. I thought, it's a no-brainer. I used to just drive my wife's car all the time. And she used to say, where's my car? Because she didn't want to use the Range Rover because whoever drove the Range Rover had to put £100 in (laughs) to fill it up. So it was just a natural thing to go and use the EV. So we used to use it as our family car all the time. And the Range Rover was just nobody wanted to drive it. You know, it's clean. It's it's great for the environment. You know, clean air. It's cheap to use. There were so many subsidies. It was just a no-brainer until I wanted to go beyond the range of the vehicle because the i3 could only do 100 miles. And then when I went to try and drive from London to Bath, which is only 10 miles beyond the range of the i3, I thought to myself, God, what the hell is this? I couldn't find a charger anywhere. Range anxiety does exist. Let me tell you, trying to find the infrastructure to charge it. And I thought, this is no good. Can't have this. So we kept the i3 just for short journeys. As long as we didn't go beyond the range of the car, I could get a government grant, get a charger on my driveway. It was perfect. As long as I don't go beyond the 100 mile range there and back, then the i3 was great. So then I did a bit more investigation, found out about this company called Tesla, 
when no one really knew what Teslas were. I'm talking about 2017, just going into 18. Not that long ago, it was still new. Most people didn't really know what electric vehicles were, even in 2018. And found out about their infrastructure, superchargers. So it was a little bit of a barrier to entry because Teslas are quite expensive. But managed to secure an older one for um, a reasonable price. And then it just opened up the whole world to us with regard to traveling. We drove to Biritz, drove all over um, the UK because they had the superchargers. So I thought if everyone has the same infrastructure to use, what I've got at home, what I've got at the gym, plus the arterial network, then this is no brainer. We should all be driving EVs. And then it just worked out at similar time, a friend of mine, a guy called Richard Clements, was part of the founding team who founded a company called Connected Curve who were putting infrastructure in the ground for people without driveways. You know, I've got a driveway, so every morning, all my cars have a full tank of electricity. But if you are charging on street, i.e., you, you know, you lived in a flat or a terraced house, then there was nowhere for you to charge. So we at Connected Curb put power and data into the electric vehicle chargers into the curb side. So we um, provide that charging infrastructure for people without driveways. We also put them into stadiums, into lots of places, because what people don't realise is that 95% of the time, your lifetime of your car, from where it gets made to where it's scrapped, it's stationary. So it just makes sense to charge that car where it is stationary. Yes, you need arterial charging and destination charging and charging lots of different places when you're going along journeys, but it just makes sense to charge your car where it's stationary. Because even if it's a fast charger, if I have to travel, even if it's only a 10-minute drive, and even if it only takes me half an hour, that's 50 minutes. What is the point of me doing that if I can just charge it where it's stationary? It's stationary for 95% of the time. It makes sense to charge it where it's stationary. So that's the philosophy of Keptic Curve. It's cheaper. It's better for the environment because we know that EVs are better for the environment, but also the infrastructure that you're putting in the ground should be sustainable. It should be there for a long period of time. It should be made from recyclable materials. Everything about the ethos of Connected Curve was sustainable. It was a no-brainer. So when the opportunity came to get involved with a company like that on the ground floor, it was just like the second coming. It was something I could get passionate about. It's something that I would get up and go to an office for. But even though going into an office environment was foreign to me, I was just like, Look at everyone on the tube thinking, is this what my life's come to now that I'm, I'm a commuter? You know, when you're a sportsman, these are all the things that you think to yourself, at least I'm not doing that, you know? You're blessed. There are maybe some negatives about getting injured and having operations and, you know, retiring. A lot of things they don't tell you about when you become a professional sportsman. It's not said on the brochure at the beginning. Yeah, you're going to be adored and you're going to play in Challenge Cup finals and whatever. But there's also this. <laughs> yeah, there's certain things that go written which you have to learn about. But I thought to myself, this is something I'm passionate about. You know, I can get involved in. So I have been a champion for EV. You know, I know that the government have moved the ICE car ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2040 to 2035 and now to 2030. You know, so it's coming, you know. So we're trying to remove that inertia to get the ball rolling, to get everyone to make that pledge that if you're not driving an EV now, make your next car an EV. There are so many reasons which I, I won't have to go into now, but you can connect with me on www.connectedcurb.com or my LinkedIn page or my Instagram page and find out more about EVs and electric vehicle charging infrastructure. Because if you're not passionate about it, you should be, because it's about the planet. I know that people maybe talk about Greta Thunberg and the negative sides of sustainability, but if something is not sustainable, it's not something you should be involved in really, because whether it's your body, your mindset, or the planet as a whole, or even your finances, it's all got to be sustainable, isn't it? Even as a company, if you're selling or you're spending more than you're making, that's not sustainable. 
even in relationships, everything's got to be sustainable in, in life. And that's something that I've learned and something that I live by. Brilliant, man. It's definitely sparked the curiosity for me to look a little bit more. And again, as you were chatting, I was thinking a couple of months ago, I was lucky enough to take an afternoon off and go and play some golf with my mates. And I was really surprised by the amount of electric cars in the golf car park. I wouldn't even say they're coming. I say they're here. They're just going to expand even more. And what I'll do is wherever people are listening to this podcast, I'll put the links below for your LinkedIn page, for your website, et cetera. So people can go and research that. Right. To be able to wrap this up then, quick fire questions, only four or five questions. Let's see how quickly you can answer them. So your number one sporting role model? Oh, I'd have to say Muhammad Ali. Oh, amazing. Great choice. Your non-sporting role model? It'd have to be the guy I was named after, Martin Luther King, I'd say. Ah, amazing. Another little bit of information like that. You've touched on a lot of them, but what's your number one proudest moment? Wow. Wow. It's kind of funny because even when I try to search of other things, it's defined for you. You know what I mean? It's going to be scoring that try at Wembley in 1994 because I think it put me onto a certain platform, enabled me to touch a lot of people uh, metaphorically in the sense that it meant so much not only to me because I achieved a goal I'd set for myself. If I'm remembered for anything in 20, 30 years after I'm gone, it's going to be that. Brilliant. And linked to that then. So you've got both of these, but you're only allowed to choose one. Is it the MBE or is it a statue at Wembley? Stash at Wembley without <laughs> because you know medals and money and certificates those are things that are defined by eras MBEs mean something now but they probably didn't mean that much maybe in caveman times and they might not mean so much in the Star Trek era in the future but I think statues and things like that are something that I think span consciousness to have something like that, doesn't matter what time you're in, somebody could come from Mars in a million years and they'll see a statue of me and they'll try to understand because it's a human being in a pose that meant something and they'll try to understand that. And yeah. things like that, I think, are transcendent. And I think the beauty of it as well is it's at the new Wembley, so it's not going anywhere anytime soon, that's for sure. I think whether it's going somewhere or not, you've got to put it somewhere. Or you should yeah. Hopefully 40 years from now, it's not in your back garden. <laughs> Right. Last two ones then. What's your future goal? Big goal. My future goal is to see everyone driving EVs in the whole country. That is my goal. Brilliant. And on a personal level, slightly linked to the last one, if you had one wish right now that could come true, what would it be? I could see one day into the future. Ah, amazing. I tell you what, linked to that, I watched the movie Tenet last night. Have you seen that? Oh, it's mind-blowing. There's a movie called Tenant where they can move backwards in time and all that to the point yeah. where they lost me. Make sure you train for that and you're well-skilled. Well, anyway, Martin, as always, thanks very much for your time. I really appreciate your time. It's been fantastic. And I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast, whatever they are, will be really grateful of your openness and your honesty, as always. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the P3 Podcast. If you'd like to engage further with us, then please come and follow us across all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. And of course, follow us on wherever you get your podcasts to be one of the first to be notified of any new content.